Welcome to the What To Do Next podcast, where we discuss strategies to find your purpose in life. This time, I had the pleasure of talking to Fran Vaitreson, the founder of Alp Safari. In this episode, she shares her personal story from feeling like a citizen of nowhere to putting down some roots and creating her own opportunities for growth. I hope this episode will help you put down your own roots and figure out what to do next. All right. Hi, Fran. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. It, it's such an honor to have you on. Um, I'm, I've been researching a little bit what you're doing with, uh, with glamping, and I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I really fell in love with the idea. I, I definitely want to kind of check it out in the oh, future yeah. and, go, and go on an Alp safari. I would be very curious to to kind of check it out. Actually, I would be curious if you can just kind of like walk me through sort of what what is the plan with it? Like, what do you do with people who kind of sign up for this? Okay, so Alp Safari is an attempt to bring what we call glamping in English and the French are starting to, to take it on. It's a contraction of camping and glamour, so glamour camping. Um, And it's kind of revisiting uh, traditional camping. So it's taking all of the good aspects of traditional camping. You're out in nature, you've got the sort of social aspects, the multicultural aspects, mixing, you know, waking up with birds and trees, the sun coming through the tent, all of this. But you're not sleeping on a rolled up mattress on the floor. You've actually got a proper bed. Um, And then, I mean, you can really go quite far with this. So you've got sort of stripped down versions where it can be quite simple. uh, And then you can go all the way through to sort of five star hotel style uh, serviced bedrooms, uh, ensuite hot showers in your tent. Um, You've got your kitchen unit, your barbecue, your fire pit, all of this stuff. Uh, Hot tubs built into your your wooden terrace. Um, And I guess for us, I think we wanted to try and keep the no feet in uh, what the French called reasonability, raisonnabilité. Um, it, we, we wanted it to be something quite family oriented, quite sort of active adventure oriented. Um, we wanted it to be accessible. So it needs to be the kind of price that you know, we as a family of four would say, yeah, that's, that's doable for a 10 day, two weeks summer holiday. Um, but we still want it to feel a little bit nice. You know, you, you're meant to be enjoying yourself. So well, this I understand very well, because actually that's kind of the thing that always kind of deterred me from uh, from camping. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of being out in nature and I like the idea of kind of like going hiking and, and just mm-hmm. seeing a beautiful landscape. Right. It's so calming and relaxing for oneself. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But the, the primary thing that always kind of deterred me was always I don't want to sleep in. I don't want to sleep in one of these roll up, like, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't even know what they're called, like a sleeping a bag. Sleeping bag. Exactly. A sleeping bag, and then you wake up. Yeah, and you're like, a bit stiff and you've been on the floor. And yeah, no, I get that. I get that. This is, this is camping for you then. This uh, is camping absolutely. with hot water. This is camping with a proper, you know, 15 centimeter deep mattress, feather pillows. No, it's all there. It's all there. Yeah, Oof, this is your kind you're... of camping. I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out at some point. <laughs> how did you ever, how did you get up with the idea? Because it's quite like, to me, it, it seems almost kind of like so obvious that I would have never thought about it. Do you know what um, I mean? I, I mean, I kind of, I have to admit to cheating a little bit here. Glamping is a really big thing in the UK. 
Uh, and when I got to Switzerland, as you say, it just seemed like an obvious thing. I couldn't understand why nobody was doing it um, because it's so obvious. It's so it's so straightforward. And, and I, I mean, I think there's a number of reasons why it doesn't exist in Switzerland, part, partly because the Swiss tend to holiday within Switzerland. So maybe there isn't that mm-hmm. level of sort of mixity or, or just exchange of seeing what's going on elsewhere. But also, I think there's just just sort of cultural norms around what camping is, what, what holidays should be. Uh, I think the UK has a really strong tradition of, of camping, of campsites, of sort of nature holidays, adventure mm-hmm. holidays. Um, so it's kind of a logical step from traditional camping to just make it that little bit more comfortable. So, yeah, so it's been a really big sort of 10, 15 year trend uh, in the UK, in North America, Canada, uh, in France. So I kind of just said, well, you know, let's bring glamping to Switzerland. Nice. But how did you ever come up with the idea of, uh, of, of doing this like uh, in, in Switzerland? I, well, I say that I've kind of come full circle. I mean, if I had to point to what put me where I am today, I would probably point to camping holidays in France when I was a kid. So mm-hmm. British family every summer going to campsites and, and being in this very multicultural environment where you've got Dutch kids, German kids, French kids, English kids. Um, and just and just thinking that was the best thing ever. I mean, the weather's good, the food's good, the language, the culture. Um, and I think that put me on a path to studying sociology, politics, geopolitics, international relations, the, the world, basically, um, mm-hmm. and French language. And then I think the French language sort of ended up being a, a sort of push or certain opportunities opened up because I had the French, um, which a lot of Brits wouldn't necessarily have. And all of that took me into a career of uh, humanitarian work, humanitarian response. Mm -hmm. So starting in Darfur, I worked in Darfur uh, early 2000s and then basically went through uh, most of the the sort of crisis areas over the last 15 years. Um, And then met my husband in a aid worker coordination meeting in Abishé in Chad and he was Swiss. So again, you know, it's the French language fault, uh, got me a Swiss husband. And we managed to do about another 10 years uh, of moving around different missions. Uh, it's a sector where you tend to change countries, change jobs every 12 to 18 months, which was fine when it was just the two of us. But once we had two kids to add into the mix, it became harder and harder to keep that, that pace working, keep two careers working, juggle everything. And so three years ago, we decided that it was time to come back and, and settle a little bit, put down some roots. Um, and we came to Switzerland. So we came to Valais, small town Sion, the capital of Valais. Um, and that was when I started asking, well, what, what do I do next? Well, that's, that I find super interesting because also when we, when we talked the other day, uh, you were mentioning something that I, I thought was super cool. And you just said it again, like kind of put down, like put, in, put down some roots, right? Mm. You were kind of constraining yourself externally, right? Mm. And that's something I've never really thought about that like, okay, well, you know, the world is full of possibilities, like not infinite, but so large that it seems infinite to us. And at least for me, this is almost overwhelming in a sense that it is, it's so hard to kind of pin down what's the thing that I actually want to do? What's the thing that's, mm. that would give me the most joy or like the, the thing that I should absolutely do next? But it's kind of cool, this idea of I constrain myself according to what 
maybe other things I have in my life, as you were saying, like your family and so on, that mm. um, was was clearly like a, a deciding factor for you, right? Mm. Um, and so you you not artificially, but somewhat artificially constrained yourself, said, okay, well, this is where I'm going to settle down. Mm. This is where, where my kids will grow up. This is where I'll be with, with my husband. And then I will find... I will find and or create an opportunity there, right? Yeah, yeah. Narrow down the solution space. I thought that was super interesting. Um, How did you get to that point? Because you were saying earlier, right? You were you were in Darfur. You were you were kind of a citizen of the world almost, right? Like this camping in in France influenced you to the point where you kind of went everywhere and and became multicultural, Mm. and then you took the opposite step and went and narrowed it down to a location. Um, I thought that was super Hmm. interesting. How did that thought process arise in you and how did it influence you? I think, I mean, I don't think it was any one thing or one moment. I think there are a number of factors and listening to you talk citizen of the world, my prime minister, Theresa May made a comment about citizens of nowhere. Um, And I think this was just after the Brexit referendum and now that you mention it, I, I think that was probably one of the moments where I thought I, I felt less secure, maybe, as mm-hmm. a citizen of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe it was a subconscious, definitely wasn't conscious, but a, a subconscious reaction to that mm-hmm. insecurity, if you like, a realization that, you know, one can take my European nationality away from me. I, I was mm-hmm. European. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up European. I feel first and foremost European. Um, mm-hmm. And if somebody can take that away, then maybe I do need to think more carefully about my uh, political, civil, legal rights and sort of you know, focus and, and mm-hmm. as you say, put roots down and, and make sure I've got those securities. If I hadn't gone to the Brexit issue, I think I would have said it was uh, exactly what you were saying. We had too many choices. We were a couple who were accustomed to being able to go anywhere, being able to work anywhere, um, hit the ground running, pick up in a new country. As long as we were abroad, the choices were infinite. I was British, we could go to the UK. He was Swiss, we could come to Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids were in French school, we could go to France. I mean, where where did we need to go? And I think I had the luxury of not working um, for one year before we actually came back. So I'd finished work in Beirut, we moved to Ukraine, Kiev, where my husband was working. Um, and that gave me a full year to really sort of think through some of these ideas, talk with other people, sort of test um, some of these ideas I think I did realize at that point that, you know, as long as we were abroad, there were just too many parameters. You know, do, right. do, you, mm-hmm. for, do you look for the job first? Well, then mm-hmm. how do you live off one job while the other one gets sorted? Mm-hmm. Um, is it about the culture? Is it about family? There, there were too many factors. Um, mm-hmm. And so I kind of flipped it. I stopped thinking about what are the jobs? And it really became about what is the day-to-day family life or private life, social life, personal life? Um, the quality of life, I guess. What What is the life balance that we want to be able to put into place? Um, and I think as soon as I started thinking that way, I knew I didn't want to be being a taxi driver for my kids to go to you know, violin lessons or whatever after school. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to have autonomy. Um, I didn't want to be losing three hours a day in train commuting and all of this. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it all became, we, we knew we needed to just choose the place and then and then fix it. So that that helped take one step forward. Having made that step forward, it was then a case of like, well, where does it make most sense to go? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was mainly between the UK and Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I mean, very, very practical at this point. 
in the UK, I would have had to have a job earning a certain amount for Steph as a Swiss national to be able to be resident in the UK, mm-hmm. um, meaning I would have needed to find the job before we went to the UK. Whereas in Switzerland, we knew that we could come back here. We had property here. We had a closer family network here to work from as a base and to have that breathing space, um, mostly using Steph's unemployment benefit because the unemployment policies here are, are personal. So you, you really benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and just say, okay, that gives us a, a sort of 12 month breathing space to, to, to take the leap and then see what happens really. Um, but that, so that's very fascinating. That's fascinating for multiple reasons. I kind of want to want to go into mm. all of them. So one thing that I, I find very interesting is you are treating this almost how I would describe building a startup works kind of like I need a runway, right? Like mm. what allows me to get that runway? As you were saying, like if we come to Switzerland, what do we have at our disposal where we have mm-hmm. some property, right? So that's that's some stuff that we can build upon. Then with the unemployment, we have a little bit of leeway, time mm. to actually sort stuff out and figure mm. stuff stuff out. So it's, it's almost like you were... Yeah, you're like you were building a company, except that you were building a life, right? Mm. Um, and that I find very um, that I find very very interesting because a lot of people that I talk with, um, they kind of approached this whole question of what to do next on a more sort of metaphysical level and saying like, what is it that I want to give to the world? What is it that I um, that would bring me joy? Anything like this. Um, but it's it's very refreshing to kind of take this practical idea and say like, okay, what do I have? What do I need? Mm. And what would allow me to build what I have into what I need, right? Yeah, I would say that process was happening against this process of exactly as you said, what would give us joy? So this question of quality of life. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like we had the end goal in sight. We had a, a notion of what sort of, again, the kids can walk to school, we don't need to be doing this and that, we, we've got a, a, a certain quality of life in mind. And then right at the, the other end, we had these building blocks or these elements. And then between the two, there was this big black hole of, well, how do you, how do you use this to get to this? Uh-huh. Um, but I think those were the two sort of sides, if you like, of, of mm-hmm. the sphere or whatever you want to call it, the tunnel, um, mm-hmm. that we were managing to, to frame. Um, and then it was about, yeah, figuring out, well, how do how do you actually get there what what does the middle bit look like don't know so that that is is super cool to think about because it kind of i think it also kind of reflects your uh your backgrounds in in ngos to a certain uh degree right like where you were you were trying to help um in in other maybe a bit underprivileged areas of the world and improve their quality of life based on what kind of resources you have at your at your disposal Mm. and then it seems to me like you almost applied that uh like very easily to your own life and it's like i know i know Mm. what i what i should get and i know what i have at my disposal and now let me just try to try to figure out the in-between steps right it's kind of like yeah yeah um, directing yourself right yeah Um, I mean, I, I'm coming from jobs where I would habitually have to have a, a sort of 5, 10, 15 year strategic plan. You know, this is what you want to see in 15 years. Very humble about what we as a, an NGO or us as a team can actually deliver. But you have that vision of you know, what, what do you want to achieve? And then you have your sort of annual planning where in many of these contexts, 
everything can go tits up really fast. So, you know, things are kind of going in one direction, then there's elections or something happens and, and everything has to shift. So you have to have that agility uh, and be able to, again, you don't lose sight of that long term. You know what your long term is, where you want to get to, but you might have to completely change how you go about getting there or sort of juggle for a little bit in, a, in an immediate short term to deal with something else that comes up. And for me, I think absolutely, we, we applied that to, to us. And I think that I don't think this is unique to NGOs. I think it's fascinating that in the professional world, we think it's normal to have organizational planning. We think it's normal to have key performance indicators. We think it's normal to do a kind of um, performance review or monitoring or belong every so often, status mm -hmm. check. What have we got? What's not working? What do we need to change? I don't think we do that in our private lives. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we should be having five year, 10 year, not, not to say that you have to plan everything. I mean, no, lots is unpredictable and you have to have some flexibility, but I don't think there's anything wrong in saying, no, I'm, I'm 40. I want to have a sort of health check of right. where am I in life? Am I happy with what I've got? What's working well? What's not working well? Is this giving me what I want? Yes, no, why not? So that's, that's funny that you mentioned this because that's something that uh, in all these conversations that I've been having, comes up over and over and over again is that people either they do some form of self-reflection in oh. in the sense of regular sort of checkups on themselves oh. right whether that is journaling or oh. that is talking with a psychologist or that is talking with friends uh -huh. there's always kind of this like I need to get some kind of feedback from myself and or other people to kind uh -huh. of evaluate how I'm doing right now and am I still on track am I still on track to where I want to go, right? Oh. And also to kind of maybe also figure out where is where I'm going still kind of the, the right, yeah, the right direction. Definitely. Um, I was, I, I just had my kind of world shattered the other day when I was talking uh, with uh, Eva Maria Zoll, the, the, the mm -hmm. founder of Culture Design. Mm -hmm. um, and she was, uh, she she actually asked me a question. It's like, what do you mean when you actually ask what to do next? And uh, we were going into this, again, very metaphysical conversation about, um, about how you see your life. And I was kind of describing it as this, um, as almost this like uh, Greek temple where you have like the roof and you have the pillars that hold it mm. up and you need to kind of ensure that these pillars, they're, they're holding yeah. it. And she was saying, um, we clearly have a have an issue here because we're not talking about the same thing because I don't see my life as static. And that uh, that triggered like an immediate thought in me. It's like, it's true. Like actually you're changing and therefore what you may need or what you want is also changing. So you it's not need just- to build a conservatory or an extension or an extra exactly. bedroom. Yeah. Exactly. Version. <laughs> exactly. Like maybe, maybe it's not a temple. Maybe it is a, uh, an ever-changing construct. But I think, uh, I think this idea of your four pillars- I mean, there are constants, aren't there? I yeah. The, the, so that, that I've, I was thinking about this. It's like, if I think about my own life, it's kind of like, okay, well, what do I have and what do I need? It's like, well, I know I, know, I want and need mm. family. I mm -hmm. want and need like some kind of meaningful career, friends, mm -hmm. uh, a kind of hobby, something like this. Like there are certain things I can define. Mm. Um, is that something that you have also? Or is that is that a specific and also, like, could you define these pillars clearly? I, I think I definitely know myself better or, or I'm able to actually express who I am better 
uh, than 20 years ago. I think it's not a reflex or it wasn't a reflex in my schooling and an early professional life um, to sort of do that self-analysis or consciously do that self-analysis. I think I am, I am clearer on, you know, what do I need to have in my life? Yes. And I think that does help you make choices, more active choices over time. I, I mean, I think I would say that the, the thing that's changed for me in the sort of 20 years of working is that 20 years ago, I wouldn't have had the, the confidence or the experience to be able to say, I don't actually want that. Thank you very much. I won't take that opportunity. I want this. Right. Um, I think, you know, you're, you're starting up, you're, you're learning, you don't know what, what you want. <laughs> you don't know what you can do. Um, and so you just tend to say yes to whatever's offered, don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think now I, I'm much fussier. I mean, that, that's why I ended up doing what I'm doing now. Um, I, I didn't like what the offers were or what the job opportunities would have been for me to work here. I wasn't going to find the sort of satisfaction, the freedom, the, the level of responsibility and autonomy uh, that I knew I wanted and needed, I think. Um, I think that's the big change. But did you, when you say that back in the days, you didn't have the confidence to like, um, to say like, I'm not going to take this opportunity because it's not what I want. I'm curious whether, was it really a, a problem of you were scared to not take the opportunity or was it more that um, you didn't even know if that was what you wanted to have in your life? I think a bit of both and probably focused by the fact that it's incredibly difficult to get into the aid sector. I think until you've been in it, you don't actually know what you're going into. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as I was concerned, I was a master's student leaving who needed to find a job. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a case of, you know, I will take the, the first opportunity that's offered. I will take it because you know, you're sending out applications as a uni student. You don't get replies. You don't get interviews. Um, the first one that comes up, you'll take it. Mm-hmm. But it's also what I, I find interesting is if you, for example, say that you weren't entirely sure if this was what you wanted or needed, right? Because that is really hard to define, right? Yeah. Maybe you did need to do this thing first in yeah. order to understand that this is not what you wanted to do, right? You needed to kind of look, that, that's the thing that, that I also seem to be able to crystallize out over and over again is that you first need to look outward and able to to look inward you need to first have sort of a base of experience that enables you to really define what you want in life I think I did I I was pretty clear that that it was what I wanted to be doing I wanted to travel I wanted to work in the aid sector I was convinced that it was um, no it it had meaning there was a purpose you're you're there to do good Um, sounds like a cliche but no at the end at at a very personal level that to me was what it was about um and on top of that bonus you get to travel the world and and see cool places Mm -hmm. uh so it's again that that cultural exchange that that learning sort of discovery if you like um from a a more selfish motivation perspective uh so now i i was definitely clear that that was what i wanted to do and where i wanted to go or at least i hadn't identified any alternative i think when when you go through some of the the schools, universities that I was going through, there was a a sort of expectation, you know, you see a lot of graduate programs, a lot of students coming out and they go off to the big banks or the corporate. I mean, there's a, you know, that that to me, it just, yeah, I mean, that had no attraction to me whatsoever. Um, So yeah, I I wouldn't say that I wasn't convinced by what I thought I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the fact that we chose to leave that sector was more a reflection, I think, of the amount of time we spent in the sector and then having to juggle family life, basically. I mean, it's not it's not a job that's compatible with trying to have the sort of family life that we wanted to have. So was it then a question of kind of prioritization? I think that the center of gravity shifted. So whereas 10 years ago, my everything was done through the lens of work. So my mm -hmm. social life came through work. My friends were colleagues. Um, you lived with people you worked with and, and you're in, in a quite, quite a close knit, even if you don't know individuals that well, but mm -hmm. a, a very common, it, it kind of acts as a filter. You meet like-minded people. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't need to go looking for more. That, that is your life. Mm -hmm. um, and I think once we started you know, family life happens and, and you can't quite put the same amount of energy into that or you have to sort of step back from the work a little bit. Um, I think that for me was a prompt to revisit, well, what what is giving me what I need? Where am I getting social interaction from? What does that look like? Um, and, and I didn't feel that I could keep doing a job that was all encompassing. Why did you chose to go for the entrepreneurial, for like an entrepreneurial Uh, enterprise right because mm. that quite often at least when I, yeah when I talk to <laughs> friends of mine who are starting like a startup or something yeah. there they work yeah. like 80 hours a week there yeah yeah it's their life right I mean I think this is this is where I come back to well actually that's what I loved that's what I loved in the aid sector you no know, if you mm -hmm. really believe in something if you're passionate about something you you just go at it and that's what you do I mean I'm doing this after three years of not working so doing it with maybe a little bit more energy I've rested the kids are older um I I don't know it's a short answer um mm -hmm. how that's going to work out where we're going to see I'm hoping I can manage it better um mm -hmm. I am a little bit apprehensive that it's still going to mean huge chunks of time and having to juggle I think the big difference for me now is that this is my business I can delegate I can hire if it works the way I want it to work, I should be in a position to get additional support in and, and do things a bit differently. Mm -hmm. I think in, in the aid sector, there's a culture of, um, I mean, everybody's overworked, everybody's working 15 hour days, uh -huh. uh, seven days a week, and, and it's very difficult not to do that. So right. I'm hoping that, you know, if this is my setup, then we'll have to see. <laughs> you then maybe, because you were saying just now that This is your this is your enterprise, right? This is your uh, your baby, and you get to grow it however you 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 choose to. Yeah. Kind of what what I'm wondering is if you had any kind of um, sort of personality assessment that led you to believe that this is the right choice for you, yeah. because one of the things that I've kind of talked with about um, with a lot of other people was that they had a very clear idea of who they were and um, they chose their job accordingly. So if they were very disagreeable, for example, then they mm. knew that they had to be either sort of on top of a hierarchy or they at least had to be kind of like on eye level with people, but they couldn't be um, inferior or take orders or something mm. like this. Was that something that played into your decision process or was it more um, no? Well, It's more the freedom that I get from growing it however mm. I want. Um, it's funny you should say that. I did do a psychometric test. I've done a few, um, mostly through work. And when I got here to, to Sion, I actually enrolled in a, a sort of bilan de compétences, a, profile, a competency profiling course, career coaching course. 
Um, and very, so the first thing we did was this psychometric testing and it was probably the most comprehensive one I've done. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a bit spooky because you really do read yourself in, in this, this mm -hmm. test, which is, you know, it's just 20 questions. Um, but the description was, was super accurate. Um, and it made me smile because I can remember the guy saying to me when he saw the results, he was like, oh, this is a, this is a profile for independence for, for, or, you know, running your own, your own thing. And, and at the time, I was so far from thinking that independence was the way forward. For me, I was doing that uh, coaching because I wanted it that that was how I was going to transition laterally from the aid sector to a comparable public service type administration mm -hmm. managerial job. Um, and it was all about how do I translate my humanitarian CV? How do I pick out the relevant competencies? How do I build some sort of network through this coaching with other people doing similar things to find that sort of job. So I absolutely went into that process um, expecting to use it to find a job. Um, and, and so I was completely dismissive when he, when he made that comment, uh, but it stuck with me. I think it's one of the full, the, the full phrases that he said that, that I, can, I, I can quote exactly how he said it. Um, and I think subconsciously it, it probably did sort of take root and, and start to build because if that evidence is there, if that profiling is there and somebody's telling you, you know, you've got the skills to do this, mm -hmm. it, it definitely feel, makes you feel a little bit better equipped to, mm -hmm. to make that step. Do you remember what this psychometric assessment was called? Like, does it have a, a name, something that like, uh, like I could look up for? I, I could. It wasn't a Myers-Briggs, it was one with colors. Ah, is it like red, blue, yellow? Low green something like this is there yeah. four colors there's four colors yeah i think i also yeah. did that with work at some point um and then like red is like if you're red you i think you're like uh, very sort of disagreeable and you need to like be in charge <laughs> or something like this and blue if you're very analytical um and yellow if you're very personal i think and then uh, green i completely forgot what it was yeah yeah i think green is you're you're an administrator or a banker or something mm -hmm. accountant yeah um i will have to have a look for the name and send it to you i'm i'm very curious so were yeah. you fully red um i wasn't i was a mix of red and the administrator one so i basically had the red characteristics which is about going out and and selling and pushing something and sort of going for strategic vision the car salesman is how it was described to me um but then the other one i can't remember if it's blue or green was about putting in place systems making sure that everything's organized uh making sure that you deliver behind the blah blah and and that was like well that's the perfect uh, mix to actually not only be able to sort of push for something but to put the building blocks behind it to actually make it happen um so no i, I it stuck with me it, it's something i do think of and if i'm having days where i'm just like ah oh, this is nightmare uh it's kind of reassuring to know it's there because you're just like no i can do this it's, yeah. it's bitten. <laughs> i think like even even if you don't use these sacramentic uh, evaluations as like a, a decision um as a decision making process for what mm. you want to do i think it's still very cool as either um like as a tool of confirmation mm, to kind exactly. of uh, check yeah. with like does this work for me validate uh, yeah validate yeah. that this is actually working for me yeah exactly um but given that you're kind of very um that you're the the car salesman and you can actually like uh <laughs> methodically like deconstruct what you need and then uh, and then uh, and then deliver 
behind all the blah blah as you were as you were saying um i kind of can see that in sort of what you were describing so far about how you constructed a life that you you very kind of mm-hmm. uh, methodologically um yeah. kind of built kind of looked at what do i need how do i get there what do i have um what can i build out of this and then uh, and then let's do it right yeah um can you walk me a little bit through this sort of process in terms of like okay so at that point i had these things i wanted to get to there um and now i i needed to check exactly you know how do i do this like as as a kind of example um to to live by like how did you approach this um on a really practical level like this is what i looked up this is what uh what constraints i said this is why i said them i think we probably started with the constraints so the choice to come to sion mm-hmm. the choice to outright buy or not outright obviously we have a rather large mortgage but the choice to actually anchor ourselves and and make a house purchase and i think I think it was because we knew that we've we've moved a few times and you can lose months in arriving and setting up. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of energy. I I didn't want to feel that we were going to have to do that twice in quick succession, so it really was mm-hmm. about you no know, we we need to com- commit to where we're going. Um and then it was also about as I say setting setting these constraints being really clear because if you take them away the sky's the limit and and there were a few times i mean when i got here and realized that job hunting wasn't going to be as straightforward as i thought it's very easy to you know have a quick google of jobs in the uk and just go oh i could get that i could get that that would mm-hmm. be easy um and and you have to kind of shut your eyes to that because as long as those temptations are there it's very difficult to forge your path you're mm-hmm. you're pulled in different directions um so i i was consciously shutting all of that off the commitment to being in Sion and then i would say it was a kind of combination of of process and learning um simultaneously so doing this career coaching um that i think again i went in expecting it to tell me what job i should apply to mm-hmm. um which i think any career coach will tell you that's not what it's <laughs> that's not what it's supposed to be about mm-hmm. um and i came out of it feeling very clear on what i didn't want to do so where mm-hmm. i didn't want to be this sort of professional environments that i didn't want to find myself in um and very clear on nothing to do with the job or the job title or even the environment but what gave me satisfaction what were the functions mm-hmm. that i wanted to play as an individual where did i feel that i was good at it and where did i feel like it was it was pleasant it was satisfying so i think you know that that to me was a very methodological process that I mean my part in that was just going and asking for it so you know not not particularly method- methodological of of me but it it was a very systematic process once I was in it but then matching that against a kind of learning curve in valley possibly I think I'm I'm accustomed to arriving in a context where you have to hit the ground running you have to get to grips with legal frameworks political frameworks funding opportunity I mean all sorts of things pretty mm-hmm. fast um and I I I basically treated our arrival here as another mission so you know get to grips with mm-hmm. what are the politics what's going on what are the niche what's the economy where are the opportunities who's doing what um right. i mean i'm not even sure that was very methodical i think that was a kind of subconscious reflex of just get up to speed and figure out how this place works mm-hmm. um and i mean that's just talking to people and and reading the news and paying attention to stuff but i think that was that was the sort of 
collective learning process, if you like, that enabled me to start teasing out um, either what are the job opportunities going to be and what would that look like? And the mm -hmm. conclusion that, yes, I could probably network for three years in Valley and possibly find something further down the line, but it would probably be an administrative setup um, in a work culture that to me is quite slow and probably quite frustrating. So I would probably struggle in that. Mm -hmm. Or it was going to be a commute to Lausanne or to Geneva and a slightly more fast paced, but then with what price for the kind of family values. And again, coming back to that quality of life that we had said we wanted to, to meet. As an aside, there was quite an awkward moment. Uh, my husband uh, from here interviewed for quite a senior position in Geneva and, and he got really excited about it. And mm -hmm. he had his first interview and he was invited back for a second interview. But this was the other side of Geneva. And I can just remember having a conversation two nights before the second interview where I, I basically accused him of selling out our mm -hmm. commitments. The fact that we said, you know, we, we were going to prioritize quality of life. We were going to prioritize time with family. Mm -hmm. um, you disappearing off to Geneva from Monday to Friday, that's, that wasn't part of the deal. Mm -hmm. um, and so he did the second interview and he didn't get the job. And the feedback was that they didn't feel that he was as committed as he had been in the first mm -hmm. interview. I said, ah. I think I know why. Um, so I think there was a, a sort of constant holding ourselves to account. Again, coming back to that that mm -hmm. basic, what are we trying to build? What are our what are our goals here? Mm -hmm. Which for me very quickly excluded those job options in Geneva in Lausanne. And if I wasn't seeing the kind of job opportunities here in Valais, then to me that was where I got to the point. Okay, it's it's about independence. It's about looking at what do I have the skills to do? What are the sectors where there are viable sort of business opportunities? And I think once that sort of mental click was made, it actually went quite fast. I mean, I was literally scanning pages. Um, <laughs> what businesses are for sale? Is it a case of starting from scratch? Is it a case of mm -hmm. you know, buy something and, and hit the ground running and build it up? I think that was when I came back against, you know, I, I do come from a sector where you have a certain sense of meaning. I didn't want to run a print shop, although I can mm -hmm. see the business potential of, of you know, what that could be. Um, I wanted to do something that, that came back to kind of my roots. So, you know, local economic development, something that's going to be able to push forward, I think, certain policy changes, political changes. I really like the vision of the Canton of Valais for their tourism. It's mm -hmm. got beautiful principles, great words about sustainable tourism, green tourism, uh, small scale tourism. But I struggle to see how that's going to happen if there isn't a stronger operational framework and incentives and instruments to actually take it forward. But I, I found myself in that vision. It was kind of like being back in an Oxfam program mm -hmm. where you can see, you know, that's the way to go. But this is what needs to change for that to become possible. And so I absolutely started seeing this clamping project as a you can have an impact economically you can create jobs you can start to push the commune the canton in terms of you know build that example show what can be done it is an example that can be replicated it is something that you can scale up it is an example of relatively environmental in as far as tourism is ever environmental positive economic impact and so that that kind of became the the goal so there's quite a lot here and I, I would almost like to summarize this in sort of a step-by-step -step mm. process because that to me seems like what what you did mm. kind of like you started with step one 
be clear about how you want to spend the time from waking up to going to bed at night. Yeah. Like yeah. what is, how would you like to live your life regardless of mm. career, anything like this? This is, this is the, this is what you, yeah. I guess, mean with quality of life. It's like Marie Kondo. Exactly. Like <laughs> I want to, joy. exactly. <laughs> Does it spark joy or exactly. not? Exactly. Try to step one. How do I want to spend my time? on this earth right mm. then step two pick a location right geographically restrict yourself to a location which i guess is what you were referring to when you're saying like okay well i want to have some roots somewhere and i don't want to commute right mm. so that is almost like you pinpointed like i could do this in the uk or i could do this in switzerland mm. um and i don't want to commute so i can only draw a circle around a location mm -hmm. and say in this location i will i will i will spend my life so to speak yeah. right like yeah. this is where the majority of my life will take place yeah then then you have a, a geographical location so once you have the area, you need to scan the area. So that's step three, where you mm -hmm. became, um, you basically intermingled with the, with the locals. You were trying to figure out what is the legal framework, what is kind of the environment you're living in, what are uh, the opportunities there, what are the constraints there, right? Mm. So that then once you have step three completed and you have the geographical location, and the, the, the framework of that location, you need to cross-reference this with what you defined in step one, which is like, what kind of opportunity in this location can I take that would enable me to do what I set out in step one? So that mm -hmm. restricts even more possibilities, right? Mm -hmm. So then when you have this very small subset of, of uh, opportunities, then step five is, uh, essentially creating creating a life so at that point it is what basically what we were talking earlier this is what i have and this is mm. what i can build from it mm. and that um that then is a i guess another whole ordeal but in order to first arrive there you needed to constrain and constrain and constrain and that you've done through this like basically process did i miss anything is that no i mean it, it sounds very um sounds very methodological i mean i i definitely wasn't that organized and structured but yeah that's that's the the areas are variable aren't they yeah yeah that's that's what i that's what i that's what i want to do <laughs> i want to yeah. like kind of figure out what people are what were people kind of subconsciously doing and mm. then presenting them as actual like actual sort of equations that people mm. can use put in the input parameters and then you get the output mm. and then you can just use the output um so it's kind of this three-step process for narrowing down your solution space for mm. your life mm. that's super cool so then when when you kind of <laughs> narrowed that down and you saw that okay well i guess that's when you're sort of like um training in, 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 in NGOs was kind of taking over was like, okay, well, I don't see an opportunity that would enable me uh, to right away, um, like do what I set out to do. So I'm going to create that yeah, for myself, find a, given, yeah. find, a find, um, yeah, basic job creation. That's mm. what, you, what you were doing, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You were trying to create a job that would enable you to do this. Mm. 
And then here, I'm guessing you applied a similar framework, right? Like what are the, what are the opportunities in terms of job creation, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I can't find a job um, that would actually satisfy me right now, then I'm just going to create it myself, which I guess speaks very much to your personality in terms of like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm the car salesman. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get this. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get you to buy that car, whether you want to or not. <laughs> yeah, c- driver motivator. But then did um, this sort of personality assessment? Um, it didn't really influence you in terms of like I need to become uh, an entrepreneur, right? Like for you, it was always sort of a. I can also take a job. That's not really the the main thing i don't particularly need to be uh, to be the ceo i think it made me realize that in the aid sector particularly in the positions that i've had you're often working far away and i was running bases i was running teams from quite early mm-hmm. on and i finished as a, a country director i was running the country program so i very rarely had a boss sitting in the next office mm-hmm. um sort of overseeing what I was doing uh, with any proximity. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I hadn't necessarily thought it through explicitly, but I think this profiling did make me acknowledge that I was going to find it difficult to sit in an office. I'm accustomed to having space to be able to solve the problems that need solving. Mm -hmm. And I would struggle to slot into a hierarchy and do more of a task-based role Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in terms of the roles I was looking for, I was definitely looking for roles that would give me a certain level of strategic leadership and autonomy to, to, to do that strategic leadership. And I think, you know, trying to match that against, well, what are the job opportunities here? Mm-hmm. The fact that I'm not Swiss. So if I'm not looking in the international sector, what am I looking at? Um, and I think that immediately is, is obviously harder because I don't come from the Swiss culture, the sort of socioeconomic mm-hmm. tissue, as they call it. Um, so what is my added value? And on top of that, I'm not necessarily coming from that particular industry. So I wouldn't have industry specific knowledge either. Um, so the chances of me being able to make that shift laterally um, mm-hmm. into that kind of role with that kind of freedom and autonomy that I was looking for, it, it seemed pretty unrealistic in, in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was when that- the UK jobs became tempting and I started Googling. But <laughs> But thank God you have, was that at that point, have you already constrained yourself? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, we were here. We were here. I mean, this, this, was, I, I have to say there were weaknesses, you know, you, you sort of, I think nine months in when Steph wasn't, didn't seem to be finding anything and I wasn't finding anything that that's when you're tempted, you know, late at night, you have a quick look at either an aid sector job website, which you're pretty confident that you could go and find a job quite quickly or in the UK, if I were to apply to X, Y, Z, might be able to get this. And you sort of like, you revisit everything and just go, ah, are we doing the right thing? Um, I I mean, there's a lot of chance in all of this, a lot of luck. Um, But I'm quite curious because like when you saw that these opportunities existed, for example, in the UK, mm. right, and that you would maybe Mm. more easily be Mm. able to like find something there. um, Did you need to do some kind of uh, affirmation, like over and over kind of tell yourself, no, like I I said, I'm going to do this and I'm just going to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have a like this sounds a lot like, um, do you know Napoleon Hill, uh, Think and Grow Rich? That when, like, um, um, kind of what he's saying is kind of, um, well, if you, you kind of need to, to set yourself a goal, and then once you have it, you just need to affirm yourself over and over again, like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is what I'm going to do, and this is going to work, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be fine. Is that something that like you actively done or that you kind of just subconsciously done? Like, no, like- no, we were actively, I think we were actively doing that. 
because it's it's stressful. I mean, it was two of us with two small children and a mortgage, and you have to mm-hmm. be sure that, it, that it's going to work out. And obviously, you're not sure it's going to work out. Um, so there was a lot of sort of reaffirmation be- between the two of us. I mean, not just on a personal level, um, you know, me reaffirming him, him reaffirming, are we doing the right thing? Uh, is this mm-hmm. going to work out? Yes, yes, yes. Um, I think always having a, a plan B, you know, there was always a sort of unspoken or, or spoken um, acknowledgement that worst case scenario, one of us could go and do a mission abroad uh, mm-hmm. six months, whatever, to just play for time and have have more time, really, which I think is a luxury that you know from other sectors you might not have that but definitely reaffirmation definitely and also ego I mean it's it's not easy to walk away from job titles and a certain level of seniority mm-hmm. in your career and know that on some levels you could get that back I mean it, it is a case of applying to a certain job mm-hmm. um, so you have to reaffirm again the goals but but on a very personal level, reaffirm what we have prioritized, that it is about quality of life. It is about not working 15 hour days. It is about having time at the weekend to go and be outside in the nature and sunshine. Uh, yeah, but I think um, I think that's that's very cool that you, that you were saying this, that, yeah, it's, um, it's not just about seniority because quite often, like, I mean, it's a classic, you know, rat race kind of mentality of mm. like, yeah, I want to climb a ladder mm. um, uh, until you realize that actually like this ladder was not yeah. going anywhere, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, and then to sort of have the the strength of saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give up this sort of this idea that I have built myself of who mm. um, who I am in let's let's call it the hierarchy. To mm. kind of build my own hierarchy right to mm. say what what yeah. is you are stepping outside a world of values and status and mm-hmm. identities yeah you have to make that choice i think you're not necessarily stepping outside of this world i think you're just creating it yourself right mm. instead of having maybe a a place imposed on you uh, that may not be right for you i mean it may be right for you right but um it's it's for me kind of the way that I see it is sort of the 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 difference between re- being reactive versus being proactive. Like if you go from what we were talking about earlier, going from opportunity to opportunity, mm-hmm. then it's almost like a um, yeah, if I go passive. by engineering terms, mm-hmm. like a random walk, right? You're yeah. just like jumping from option to option, or I typically refer to it as kind of the Tarzan strategy of like mm-hmm. swimming from the arm to the arm. Yeah. Um, instead, you're kind of now being proactive and saying, well, actually, where do I want to go? Mm. And then building that hierarchy yourself and saying, well, these are the things that are important for me. And, and I'm going to place myself within this hierarchy instead of mm. one that somehow was constructed for me as I was going through life. Um, and I think that's that's very cool that that um, you're kind of saying, okay, well, you know, it, it's it's important and it's scary, right? Mm. Um, but you're still stuck with it, um, regardless of how scary uh, it was. And in the end, actually managed to build something that sounds like um, it sounds very much like it was the the right fit for you, right? Like as you were saying, like yeah. you, for example, even now you were saying like you want to spend some time in nature on the weekends. Well, you can even do that during your yeah. job. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, this is not a coincidence. I mean, I literally made a big list of what do I want to spend my days doing. Um, no, I want to be able to walk the dog. I want to be able to read my book in the sun. What the, it's the small things. And I think again, when you're younger, 
people say this to you. I, I didn't register at the time because I was fixated on the big things. I was looking at you know world peace mm -hmm. and, and how to save entire populations. Um, and your your little pleasure, the day to day kind of gets lost in all of that. Um, so this was for me, it was really about coming back to, you no, know, I like drinking my coffee on the terrace in the sun. I like walking the dog. I like having my Kindle. I like eating good food. These are really simple things. And mm -hmm. I can put all of those into my day to day and I can actually build not just a life, but a, a job around that. I mean, it's funny what you, what you say about this, this status thing. I mean, I'm basically running a campsite. This mm -hmm. is not a, a super amazing professional career choice, but the way I've approached it and the way I look at it, I am <laughs> it's so much more than that. I'm, I'm looking at a project that has multiple layers um, that you no, know, on a very basic level, it's going to give us an income, it's going to support us as a family. But on a much bigger level, for me, it's, again, it's a strategic vision. I, I want to challenge the tourism policies here. I want to challenge the frameworks, the, the, the political frameworks here. I want to show what can be done. I want to have mm -hmm. franchises. It's not just about this one site. This is a start of something that can go really far. Um, you can choose who you hire. You can deliberately collaborate with associations, work with people mm -hmm. involved in reinsertion, whether that's refugee populations, handicapped populations. I think there are so many ways that you can make this, again, a kind of social development project, which, which is to me, I mean, that, that's really exciting. I, I, I've completely gone and built my own little Oxfam project. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you built, you built your hierarchy, right? <laughs> like you yeah. built, you, built um, you, you from the ground up built what what this thing should be right and in in, yeah. in the process of building what your life should be you also built a a a market essentially mm. Mm. it it was uh, it sounds to me very much like classic market opportunity identification and exploitation yeah. right yeah. like I, yeah definitely you you build a, a business canvas and then uh you have some like um, you know you have some some opportunities for growth you have some mm. opportunities for backup right this is clearly this like methodological like mindset of like how mm. do I how do I start a job that you apply to your life but then mm. applied it also to your actual to your actual business and, and also yeah. hmm? and project Sorry? always projecting ahead right, right, right like right. in five years what is it in ten years what is it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we don't stop at the at the at the campsite we don't stop at the first the first site right right right, right. Um, but. Um, do you have this like projection for yourself um for your life as well like we were talking about this earlier a little bit mm. like projecting like having a five-year plan for for your life right is is that radically different than what you set out to mm. do in the beginning uh. like when, when you started this out <laughs> and you were saying like okay well you know i want a certain quality of life and you uh. were saying these especially these little things like i want to yeah. drink my coffee on the terrace um when you make this 10-year projection, mm. are these things still in there? Is it still the same fundamental thing, just maybe larger? Or is it something I different? So. I hope so. I mean, it's definitely bringing back the, the passion, the fun bits that I used to love in the aid sector. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm seeing them here. I see the potential for those same sources of satisfaction here. I think I can still keep those day-to-day -day things in. I mean, that, that's definitely the plan. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to have to do our check-in <laughs> in a year's time and, and see if it's still happening that way. Um, and I think if it's not, then I hope we'll have the, the courage to you know, challenge ourselves and say, well, what do we do about it? Because I think you know, that's the whole point, isn't it? 
but the five the five year plan thing i mean i i think when i was sort of 25 to 30 35 i probably did have a subconscious five year plan or at least an idea of ambition i think i had certain assumptions about the longer term that maybe weren't very explicit i think the last five, 10 years that kind of got lost. I didn't have a plan. I sort of just went, oh, I can't, <laughs> it's too complicated, too many moving parts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't, I'm not in control. And now I feel like we're back to a point where no, you, I, I can, I can make choices. I can project. And it is about, again, having that longer term vision, but always, always being aware that you, you have to juggle, you have to adapt. You, you can't map out every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't happen like that. And, um, well, first of all, um, it would be a pleasure for me if we have this conversation again in a year from now and we, we, we see where, where the on, projection is. On the terrace gone. of a tent up in uh, On the terrace yeah, of the in tent the sunshine, having a with coffee. coffee. <laughs> exactly. I was about to say that sounds perfect to me. <laughs> it's a deal. <laughs> but in order to do that, let's do a quick projection so that we can do a checklist uh, mm-hmm. in a year from now to see mm-hmm. if this has gone exactly how you were planning mm-hmm. or if it has gone completely different. So <laughs> what are you going to do next? What am I going to do next? Uh, I want to get this site up and running. I want to see that the demand is there. I will be really interested to see who our typical clientele are. Um, we're expecting lots of families with young children, but I really want to be able to have a kind of parallel clientele, which is more about um, individuals coming in in groups, whether that's around uh, adventure. So going out and doing randonnée, um, seasonal visits in a region, VTT, e-biking, uh, it might be cooking atelier, it might be yoga retreats, it might be aid workers asking mm-hmm. themselves, what do we do next? Coming together to you know, listen mm-hmm. to people that have actually made that transition. That's, that's a very much immediate future. From this, I want to use this site as a platform to start exploring as many modalities of what the French called hébergement insolite, so the, the sort of unusual accommodation mm-hmm. um, throughout Ballet. I want to put pods in the vineyards, I think round fuselage style uh, luxury glamping pods mm-hmm. in the vineyards along the terraces in Valais overlooking the Rhone would be fantastic. You can link it up with wine tasting and do your VTT mm. tour along the river. And every night you stop in a different pod and you get your little miniatures of each wine from that vineyard. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless. Long term, I would really like this to work well enough for me to be able to set up a fund to be able to support uh, young entrepreneurs in the tourism sector who have the vision and who want to deliver something because the big obstacle for us arriving is access to investment. There is Mm -hmm. no investment unless you turn up with a sizable chunk yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think uh, younger people do not have that kind of money, but that's where the ideas are. That's where the energy is. So I would love to be able to put a fund in place that would help them be able to access the other funding available that comes online if you turn up with your own money nice 10-year plan <laughs> cool yeah. well let's check in in, in 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 one year and then see where we are with the with the 10-year plan yeah um, it. it was an absolute pleasure talking to you i'm uh, i'm i'm super excited for alp safari i i'm really glad you joined today i'm really uh i'm really honored you joined us today and uh we get to talk very soon again and go on a little alp safari if anybody wants to check you out, where can they uh, where can they do that? They can find our Facebook page, which is Alp Safari. We have a website, which is www.alpsafari.ch. All righty, cool. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. <laughs>